Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line from the Washington Post, live from Portland, local boy goes home, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. I can already hear there's a little extra zest in your voice. I have a suspicion why. We kind of own the internet this week, didn't we? I mean, it was just an <laughs> unbelievable run for us, not to like start off on a completely self-promotional tangent, uh-huh. But here's this completely self-promotional tangent. I mean, we've got Rachel Nichols, queen of the NBA media, coming out of the woodwork as an open floor GLOW member so she can co-sign Lego's incredible contributions to society through their charitable <laughs> organizations. Then we have Richard Deitch. I, I, what is he, the, the ombudsman of the internet? What's his official title for The Athletic now? I'm yeah, not sure. I think self-appointed ombudsman of the internet is a good title for Deitch. Didn't he say we're the greatest podcast ever in any <laughs> was that his article or maybe I just scrolled and saw that he linked to us. I don't no, know either way we got, we got we got mentioned love. in his call. I'm pretty sure it was like the funniest, most attractive co-host. I mean there was it just was going on and on. It was a really really nice write up from Richard. So we I don't know. I'm riding high on this uh this great week of uh open floor momentum. Yeah, I'm feeling good as well. It w- it was very cool to find out that Rachel Nichols is part of the Open Floor Globe because uh, I've been a big fan of hers for a long time. And the jump, by the way, I don't know when it started, but for the last like year and a half, um, it has been great on a regular basis. And it's it's always a good like afternoon because my day usually starts to slow down around 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock. And so I, I often find myself kind of tuning into the jump, and uh, it's always really solid. Well, here's the thing, Andrew. We're going to probably get on some tangents. It might involve children's toys or your fantasy team or whatever else. And what I'm worried about is that you're going to have that creeping thought in the back of your mind like, oh, God, famous person Rachel Nichols is listening to me blather on about this and you're going to like choke up and you're going to do like the Markel Fultz pump fake on the free throw and you're going to do all that stuff you just need to ride with the takes Andrew just keep pumping them out we don't want to be freezing up here we just have to be ourselves I'll do my best it's important to keep the podcast a safe space for takes and irresponsible opinions it's one of the things that I am conscious of as we've grown over the last year or two it's like, you don't want to get too big. This still has to be a conversation between me and you where we're yelling at each other. So on that note, I feel like it's a good time to dive in. You you said that you had a secret topic that you wanted to begin the show with, which is always a little dangerous on my end of the conversation, but uh, I'll give you the floor for a few minutes here. I don't like to do this, Andrew. It pains me to do this, but I think I might need to owe you an apology or at least a half an apology. Because okay. there, there was an episode maybe a month ago where you wanted to dive headfirst into the Anthony Davis, what's his future look like? And I really pumped the brakes hard. I basically like just turned the key out of the ignition, dropped the key and said, we're pulling this car over. And I would not let you talk about the future of Anthony Davis. And my whole point at that time was, Let's give these Pelicans a chance. They were unbelievable down the stretch of last year. They killed the Blazers in the playoffs. They ran into the Warriors, and surprise, surprise, they lost to the Warriors in the playoffs. There's really no uh, you know, harm or shame in that. Yep. And so I was basically saying, look, can they come back? If they're a team that looks like they could make the Western Conference Finals, why are we just immediately writing off their season completely and uh, just fast-forwarding to the Anthony Davis free agency stuff? Well, 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 we're like, what, 30 games into the season. They're hovering around 500. I think I've now seen enough. 
to, like I said, apologize to you and say, look, you know, Anthony Davis is a massive story here. He's going to be a huge story for the next uh, 12 months and, and even the next six months, you know, depending on what happens next summer. Yeah. Uh, I think it's time to really dive in head first and we should issue our you know, standard apology to the Pelicans fans. Look, we're not trying to ruin your lives by having this conversation, but you guys have to admit it. You're not a contender this year. Alfred, pra- uh, Alfred Payton coming back is not going to make you a cont- contender this year. And yeah. if you were Anthony Davis and a Pelicans fans, put yourself in Anthony Davis's uh, shoes. Doesn't have the signature shoes yet, Andrew, but put yourself in his <laughs> shoes. You would be looking around for greener pastures, wouldn't you? So you're finally ready. I appreciate this. I mean, to me, this has been the biggest story. It was. A couple weeks ago, I said, half the time we're talking about some of these random NBA stories, and in the back of my mind, I'm just wondering where Anthony Davis is going to be next year because it's the biggest story in basketball. It has been the biggest story for the last six to nine months or so. I mean, anytime you talk to someone around the league, I mean, this this is like the big variable going into next season, along with Kevin Durant. But I think a lot of people assume that Durant is leaving Golden State, which that move alone sort of levels the playing field. And then a lot of it is going to come down to where Anthony Davis ends up. And, and Okay, um, let, let me put the, the push the pause button. Andrew, we're not going to call this the big variable, okay? That's a Tim Duncan nickname. You know, that's what that sounds like. Anthony Davis, it, we, we got to come up with something a little bit hypier than that. You know what I mean? Let, let's really sell this. The big variable, it sounds like an exponent or something from, like, Algebra 2. Well, listen, you're the guy who's in charge of nicknames. You're the guy who came up with Open Floor Globe, which when you first said it on the podcast, I was like, this is absolutely ridiculous. And that has become its own <laughs> thing. And so I will leave the the branding to you, but uh, I'm glad that you finally come around. I saw you had a nice write-up in the post recently about Anthony Davis. and um, Thank you I, for plugging that, because that's, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, well... I I watched the, the LeBron James versus Dwayne Wade last dance in LA. And as I was watching it unfold... There was a lot of very poignant moments, none more so than when LeBron just flat out told reporters, I needed Dwayne Wade to win a title. If I didn't have Dwayne Wade, I wasn't going to be able to win at the highest level. And I'm sitting there thinking like, huh, LeBron was 25 when he made that decision, right? When he was on on stage with Jim Gray. Anthony Davis is already older today than LeBron was when he made the decision. And we've talked about Anthony Davis as this prodigy, this incredible talent. What's he going to be in five years? But in reality, he's at the exact same point of his life as LeBron was when he went out onto that stage. The only difference is he's got an extra year on his contract. But I think you can make a really strong argument that that extra year, it doesn't really matter anymore, right? Like, yeah. you're pretty much, when you're in that, entering that last year of your deal, if you have a decision you want to make, if you want to push yourself to a certain team, you're practically a free agent. And so th- that was really what got my wheels turning. Who is going to be Anthony Davis's Dwayne Wade, right? Like, if I was a superstar around the league, aren't you making the same pitch to Anthony Davis that Wade made to LeBron? Come here, win a title, get the monkey off your back. Don't have people say you can't win anymore. You know, become a huge star, be the center of the league. And so I think we should probably have a conversation like, who are the aspiring Dwayne Wades here? Like, who are the guys that you see? in that like recruiter big brother you know mold who could potentially get into anthony davis's ear with that pitch and make it work yeah well and that's my favorite part of all this because 
ultimately it comes down to Kyrie and LeBron engaging in cold war Ooh. over Anthony Davis. And, um, and that's something I wrote about in the first week of the season. Uh, so again, it's nice to have you catching up here, but I think that's going to be a, a really interesting subplot. And then you have Rich Paul thrown into the mix kind of as the wild card who could potentially sway Anthony Davis and end this battle before it begins. And then you also have the Pelicans sitting there. And look, they're going to have some say in this. If they look at Brandon Ingram and say, no, nah, we don't really see it, which is a fair assessment after the first couple months. I think he could be better somewhere else, but like he may not be an all-star, all-NBA level player. Um, and it sort of depends on your perspective there. Like... They could they could prefer Jalen Brown. They could prefer Jason Tatum. Um, and so it may come down to the Celtics rolling the dice on a year of Anthony Davis without any long-term commitment and betting that they can re-sign him. And um, that's interesting, too. I do feel bad for the Pelicans, though, because I feel like they've gotten screwed this year. They had Alfred Payton go down with the ankle injury, um, and now Julius Randle is hurt. I don't... I haven't checked his status, but he he took a hard fall over the weekend. Um, And so they've had some bad luck, including last season. Like, I would have loved to have seen that Pelicans team with Anthony Davis playing the way he was last May go up against the Rockets. I don't think they would have beaten the Rockets, but I think it would have been a pretty interesting series. Whereas, like, against the Warriors, they were only going to be able to do so much. And Steph missed the first couple games of that series, but it just, like... It wasn't going to happen, and everybody knew that going in. And I, I think that's part of what's kind of frustrating or would frustrate me if I were a fan of a Western Conference team right now. It's like you're dealing with such an impossible standard that your team is always going to look 30% more hopeless than it actually would be in a, in a normal NBA environment. And so that sucks for New Orleans, but so it goes. Yeah, why is it just Boston and L.A. in your minds? I mean, should we expand this playing field? Like, isn't Golden State a potential player here? Like, everything I don't see that... it. I, like, I, Golden State has wanted Anthony Davis for a long time. That's not a secret. But I just don't understand, I, like, the mechanics of how that move would happen um, are lost on me. I mean, are you basically trading... Draymond Green with a year left on his deal and selling the Pelicans on that package. Like, I don't see them being able to sign Clay and then turn around and trade him. Like, I, I'm not sure how it gets done. You trade a boogie back? I uh, know. I don't know. <laughs> I, that's that's a good question. I mean, it, it's tricky, but I, I'm just thinking like we know how this works. It starts with what the stars want, you know. And if, so, I'm yeah. trying to put myself in Anthony Davis's mind, right? Like, which of these scenarios are the most intriguing to me? The Lakers would be very intriguing because LeBron would be force feeding me, um, you know, just surround with shooters, and that team's amazing. Center of attention, all the hype in the world, sell a million million jerseys, get a new shoe deal, all that stuff. The Celtics would be interesting. Um, for sure. I mean, the appeal of Kyrie, I think, is very genuine. That's been something that was rumored, you know, dating back years, you know, the old USA basketball. Yeah, uh, I think that, that Kyrie mafia. and Anthony Davis, Kyrie seems to have a great relationship with every superstar in the league except LeBron. And that includes Anthony Davis. They They are apparently fairly close. But at the same time, like everything that appealed to Kevin Durant about Golden State doesn't that exact same pitch kind of work on Anthony Davis, right? Like all the tech money in the world, huge platform, guaranteed to win a ring so you never have to deal with that talk anymore. 
uh, you know, playing with awesome players in a great spirited environment, uh, you know, having lots of help, not having to run up the miles, extend your career. I mean, like, I just think if, if we're talking about 30 destinations and we're just ranking them, uh, like, you know, if you're a superstar, where do you want to go? I feel like Golden State should just always be in that conversation because if Anthony Davis wants to go there, they're going to find a way to make it work, right? I mean, I guess so. I, like, have you heard anything? Where is this coming from? Because, again, the, the mechanics seem impossible to me. Well, I mean, if, if you're saying a Draymond plus picks plus whatever else, I'm not trying to report anything. I'm trying to put myself in Davis's mind because he gets to choose. Like, if he wants to go anywhere in the league, they will bring him in, right? So, Well, I think I, there are limits to that. I, I, I don't think we should overstate how much agency he's going to have in this situation. I think that he may be able to scare a team off from trading for him, but I, if it comes down to a Lakers offer and a Celtics offer, both of which are fairly attractive, and Golden State basically putting, like, drunk Draymond and I shouldn't say drunk Draymond but like aging Draymond on the table and the 30th pick of the draft for the next three years I'm not sure that's going to move the needle for New Orleans hypothetical Anthony Davis decides today that he's done he wants to be traded by the deadline to Golden State and Golden State's best offer is Draymond and Clay plus a pick or whatever Mm -hmm. don't you think Golden State immediately says yes to that even though that's two of their core guys I mean it would be awkward like for them to shift that fast but if they have the opportunity to have KD, AD and Curry you know locked in for the next five years they're not going to do that yeah Golden State would do it yeah absolutely yeah so Um, that that's what I mean so if he made his decision and said I want to go play for Golden State there would be a way for it to ha- to happen. That's my point. Yeah, I- I'm not all the way there yet. And again, I've, I've, I've thought about this a lot, uh, but I might be missing something. Uh, the other team that is a, a major, major long shot, and I'm not bringing this up because Anthony Davis is from Chicago, but what if the Bulls got the number one pick and said, we are going to put Lowry Markkinen... Wendell Carter Jr. Maybe they keep uh, Wendell Carter Jr. But Lowry Markinen, Zach Levine, and the number one pick on the table for Anthony Davis. Because these are the types of moves that I think every team should be considering. Like, put everything you have on the table and try to get the third or fourth or second best player in the NBA. Because, I mean, Anthony Davis, whenever he's traded, will be the best player to change teams via trade since Kevin Garnett. Uh, 10 years ago and so like teams should be willing to do whatever and if you're Chicago I mean isn't that something you have to seriously consider so let me get this straight the most desirable destination for a superstar is is off the table (laughs) but the least desirable or not really the least okay the second or third least desirable destination in Chicago is now on the table for Anthony Davis yeah that's that's what you're leading me to believe get up there with Jimmy Boylan man um no it's the (laughs) Golden State, if, if Anthony Davis were a free agent, the Warriors would absolutely be in play. It's just that you're not going to be able to trade for him if you're the Warriors. Um, but the Bulls, I mean, that would be a risk on Chicago's part as well. And they would probably have to, they would have a lot of room, though, if they wanted to bring in Anthony Davis and try to sign another superstar. Um, I don't know. It's it's something that, that crossed my mind because I was thinking, like, that it's, it's too easy to assume that it's just going to be 
LeBron and Kyrie and LA and Boston, and then and then that's it. I, I think there are going to be a couple wild cards in the mix because that's the way these things always go. You know, like the Raptors come out of the woodwork or um, the Sixers with Jimmy Butler. It's always a little bit more complicated than it appears six months out. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, do you have any other nominations? Um, I mean, I feel like the Philly idea you brought up earlier, should we explore that? I mean... Well, what's involved there? Is it just Simmons and and filler? Is that no, what you, you see know what's hap- funny? happening, or what's that? About every ten days, we get uh, we get an email from a Sixers fan or or an unaffiliated fan wondering whether Philly would trade Joel Embiid, and um, because I, I, that's a move that would certainly make a lot of sense because I think Anthony Davis is a little bit better than Embiid and he's a little bit more dependable going forward. I, I think there are still questions about Embiid's health if you're looking about if you're looking at like the next five years. Um but that's a move that you just you can't make that move, you know? Like if you were flipping Embiid for Anthony Davis, at a certain point you have to be like, what are we even doing here? I, Embiid is is so beloved in Philly that I think he's just completely untouchable. And if I were a Sixers fan and they traded Embiid for Anthony Davis, like it would be so soulless that it would just be too much for me to even get excited about. Yeah, I, I don't see that one. I mean, what about some of these other big market sleepers like following your Bulls formula? formula? Like, Could the Knicks get in there? Is there any way that... They could say, like, come play with Porzingis and just have, like, the most futuristic 22nd century, uh, well, you know, front line. I mean, or or no. <laughs> I love this. We are pretty far off the reservation here. Not This is not reality-based thinking from you. Um, Porzingis is another guy I've oh, thought about. If you're... See, that's the thing. Slow down. Why could Chicago be an option just because he's from there and New York can't be an option? If we're t- taking these trash teams that have been terrible for five years, but they're in big markets and you know superstars have been linked to them, there would be amazing marketing opportunities. I mean, Anthony Davis's wingspan, you can't see that spreading all no, the way no, across no. Times Square <laughs> in a million billboards? Come on. I'm in, man. I really am. And um, I think that this is, something, this is something I've thought about. It's like, if you're the Knicks... I, Porzingis is someone who would absolutely be on the table. And if the Knicks get the number one pick and then can turn around and say, look, we're getting ready to go recruit Kevin Durant. Let's put Porzingis and the number one pick on the table and try to get Anthony Davis. I think that's another offer where the Pelicans, I mean, because the Pelicans are basically losing their franchise identity and odds are they're not going to get anybody in return who can kind of replace what Davis has been, um, even in a symbolic sense. I mean, obviously nobody is going to be as good as he's been on the court, but someone to just like give that franchise some shape and, and a reason for people to care. Porzingis would potentially be that guy. And, um, and he's also someone that I, I kind of worry about quietly. Like, you know, he's had these nagging injuries even before the, the big injury last year. His durability hasn't been great. He's he's 7'3", and the track record of guys that size staying healthy hasn't been great. And um, I don't know. If, if there were an opportunity for the Knicks to sell high and get a superstar in return, it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. Although that's another one where you're kind of in Embiid territory where like he's such a god in New York City 
that I think you would be risking rebellion unless it were like a slam dunk move. That was a good breakdown. I stopped listening about 45 seconds ago because all I could picture was, remember that Latvian rap music that they made about Porzingis? All, <laughs> yes. I, all I could picture was a Lil Louisiana remix of that song. And I just was like going through my mind, like how would that sound if he was playing for the Pelicans as like the new face of the franchise? That would be incredible. Um, I like where you're going with that too. I mean, the Knicks with Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant next year, would definitely steal the Lakers show, right? I mean, that would be the center of the NBA universe, no doubt about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess to wrap this up, though, because and he, there have been a couple people who have emailed in because like every couple of podcasts, you and I talk about the Anthony Davis thing for like three minutes and then never really go any deeper. And the reason for that is because Nobody has any real information right now. I mean, you basically hear whispers at NBA games where you're talking to guys and people start to kind of theorize about what's going to be in play for Anthony Davis, what Rich Paul is going to want, where this is all headed. But nobody actually knows anything, so it's hard to talk about it with any kind of real substance. It's because there's no Pelicans beat. and I mean, there's like nobody even covers the team. And also, Anthony Davis is kind of like smiling Kawhi, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Plays it very close to the vest. Well, Uh, and I was told before the season that Anthony Davis was talking to another all-star before the year and said basically that he is going to give it another full year in New Orleans. And then if it doesn't work out with the Pelicans this year and they don't make progress, then he was going to start to entertain a trade this coming summer. Um, And... I don't know whether that has changed now that the Pelicans are already kind of sputtering a little bit here. And that's my final question to you here. Do you think there's any possibility that Rich Paul is able to convince Anthony Davis to demand a trade in season to LA? Because that's the other major wild card that's sitting there on the table. I mean, you've got the Celtics who literally for the last six or seven years have been like scheming to get their hands on Anthony Davis. And because of an arcane CBA rule, they are not allowed to trade for him until this summer. And so being able to get this deal done before February would be a huge win for the Lakers because that basically takes Boston out of the equation And, um, you know, the Lakers would have one of the best offers. Do you think that's at all a possibility? Wait, does that same rule also prevent him from being traded to the the Warriors because of Steph? Um, No, I believe that it is. It's that the rule is that you can't have a player signed under the Rose rule and then trade for another player who was signed under the under the Rose rule. And I think the Rose rule only applies to younger guys um, your second contract rather than your third contract exactly. okay well so under this scenario i'm going to come back to you and say if you're anthony davis would you rather force a trade to the lakers or would you rather force a trade to the warriors if i was going to move and, and change my <laughs> whole life by february i would be angling to get onto the warriors ship i mean look i i was just there i watched their game the other night it's staggering how many banners that that team's been hanging. And we've been living it day in and day out for the last couple of years. But if you want to talk about what's the best organization in basketball, where do you want to go play? 
win a lot and be super famous, it's the Warriors. And you look at the Lakers, they have an amazing thing going. They, you can talk me into them making the Western Conference Finals. If they had Anthony Davis on a trade this year, they're making the Western Conference Finals, but they're not on the Warriors level. And so I think if you're talking about drastic scenarios, uh, I don't think that the only option there would be, okay, I'm forcing my way to L.A. I've got to have this team up with LeBron. I, mm. If I were him, I was I would be hoping he's getting more uh, – what's the word impartial advice rather than just LeBron saying, Hey, come over here and play with me. Like, Hey, Rich, tell Anthony to come, come play with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and there are certainly cynical ways you could look at that relationship and, uh, and yours is probably closer to what it actually is. I don't, I don't think that Rich Paul is like hanging out in Anthony Davis's apartment in new Orleans and, and try to get him to, to go join the Lakers. Um, but the Warriors thing like maybe I'm completely off base I just don't see any way it happens I I don't see like the Pelicans management would have to be wildly irresponsible to say okay we're gonna lose the third best player in the NBA perennial MVP candidate and we're gonna take back Clay Thompson and like the the dark years of Draymond Green's career. I, I that's just no, such a bad you're, idea. You're t- okay, well, if you're going to pitch it that way, and it's here's also the expiring thing. Clay Thompson. Like Clay, if he tr- if he ends up in New Orleans, Clay's leaving. Okay, maybe. I mean, you, you get a chance to show him the the good life, you know, down <laughs> uh, you know, down on Bourbon Street. Look, Look you're trading you're trading for Bourbon Street Clay would be a, a fantastic addition to the NBA landscape. I don't see it lasting more than 4 months though. I'm just, you're Dell Dems, okay? Your your options are Brandon Ingram, who hasn't been a top 100 player barely this season, or two top 20 guys and a couple of first-round picks. I'm sure Golden State would throw that in, too. Um, guys who are in their prime, who are going to help you make the playoffs this year, who are well-known, who are fairly famous, who you're going to be able to try to re-sign, you know, potentially for more money than anyone else can pay them. Uh, you know, Drew Holiday and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green doesn't sound like a top five defense to you. It does to me. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 this obsession with the Lakers prospects, like they're this amazing haul for Anthony Davis or even the Celtics they're prospects. Not. Like outside of Jason Tatum, I can pretty much leave any of those guys. Jalen, Brandon. I mean, if I'm getting Brandon Ingram back for Anthony Davis, I'm just going to, you know, resign. If I'm Delta, I'm just going to walk into the owner's office and be like, sorry, this is the best I got. It's going to be embarrassing if I make this trade. I'm just going to go play golf. Yeah. Um, It's just, it's a possibility that had you asked me two months ago, I would have said was just completely off the table. The idea of an in-season Anthony Davis trade. Now, having seen the success the Lakers have had with... Ingram largely marginalized. I, I don't the the one guy I don't think they are trading under any circumstances is Kyle Kuzma, um, but I think everybody else is in the mix and available to be dealt. See, that's the thing. If I'm Dell and I'm like calling Magic and Magic's like, yeah, sorry, Kyle's untouchable. It's like I'm trading you Anthony Davis. There's no way <laughs> yeah, okay. untouchable. You know what? You're right. I think in that scenario, if if there's a chance to get Anthony Davis in the middle of the season and go make a finals run, Magic will probably put. Kuzma on the table. I don't think Kuzma's going to be the deal breaker, but um, I don't know. I, it would be the Lakers are playing really well right now, and it would be so much fun to see Anthony Davis land there for the final two and a half months of the season. And I think that's why Pelicans fans get annoyed because like half of this is just NBA fans and NBA writers kind of 
theorizing like the most entertaining timelines while new orleans fans basically have to sit there and listen to it and just be completely ignored and so i do feel Look, bad about I, that but it would be fun I, for everyone else who cares about basketball to have that happen I mean, don't, this year don't feel that bad about it it's not like they sell out every single game they're bottom five in attendance you know what i mean so it's like i understand the fans who are watching on tv and and listening to podcasts and this is just like nails on a chalkboard to them but like, you guys have had the opportunity to watch Anthony Davis for seven years. Like, you know, hopefully you didn't take it for granted because that just fell in your lap because of some ping pong balls. Like, that doesn't mean you get to have him forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to definitely be situations that are more favorable to Davis's career. And I guess I'm now in the camp where sooner rather than later, you know, if I'm him, especially if there's more opportunities on the table uh, for trades, especially to really, you know, high power type teams before the deadline, he should be exploring that option. You know, why wait? Um, and that's kind of how I felt, frankly, about the Cousins situation down there in New Orleans last year, too. It just didn't really seem like a fit. So it's just move on, you know, like find a new spot, like be happier. And unfortunately, he got injured. So, you know, that wound up being kind of a moot point. But do you think Cousins looks back and it's like, man, I really wish I could have worked it out with the Pelicans last summer. Boy, that would have been you know, so much better. No, like he's in a better spot. He's going to be coming back, winning a title, taking his uh, career to the next stage and then cashing out next summer. And uh, I guess if I was Anthony Davis, you know, it's time to really take that next step in in your career, do the decision like LeBron did in 2010. And, you know, you know, be on a whole new plane that we've only been discussing in sort of hypotheticals for the last two and a half years. Yeah. Well, uh, it is certainly about to get real. The question is whether it happens in January and February or July. Um, But it seems like that's where we're headed at this point. Switching gears, though, to another team in the West from Aaron, who says, I'm watching the end of Nuggets Thunder, and I just realized I've never once seen Russell Westbrook engage in a meaningful discussion with Billy Donovan during a basketball game. My question, is it time for Jim Boylan to coach this OKC squad? It seems like a two and a half hour training session is exactly what this team needs. And that, of course, came after a some, some fourth quarter failures from OKC in Denver over the weekend. Um, it's true, Billy Donovan has no. never seemed <laughs> to have much of a nothing hold about, on, on Nothing Westbrook. about that email was true, Andrew. Come on. Can, I, I'm picturing like Paul George lighting the cigar when he decided to resign and like Nas is on the stage and all of a sudden like the lights dim and Jim Boylan comes out <laughs> and he's just like choking players and like, you know, blowing on a whistle and screaming, everybody drop and give me 20. No, that well, would be the worst celebration party ever and the worst mental image ever. It's just crazy that he's an NBA coach, isn't it? When you're seeing him like, you know, pull that guy off of Robin Lopez the other day, and he looks like he's straight up trying to get into a brawl on a street corner, and he's supposed to be an NBA coach. Come on, man. You got to do better than that. And, and that's why I included it, because I end up, I, I wound up watching uh, a significant chunk of Thunderbolts on Monday night, and Boylan is just incredible. First of all, the Bulls are really, really painful to watch right now. Like, as hard as it is to watch Zach Levine on offense, when you take him off the floor, there's really not much there. It's it's Lowry Markkinen being asked to do too much on offense and really no other options for them. Um, and uh, and then weren't you a big you were a big fan of their trapping scheme too, weren't you? <laughs> I was because it was incredible, Ben. You didn't see the game, did you? No, I did. I just live vicariously through your snark tweets. Well, 
for the first eight minutes of the third quarter, it may have continued for the entire second half, but I, I changed the channel when it was a 20-point game. But through the, the first stretch of the third, man, the Bulls were trapping Paul George and Russell Westbrook every time they touched the ball. And, uh, you know, that may work in high school, but, like, Russ and Paul George are, are really good players, and they... Like, the Bulls would send a double, and Russ would just immediately find a wide-open cutter going to the rim for an, a wide-open dunk. <laughs> and so the Bulls just spent the entire quarter getting dunked on, like, every other possession. And um, it was just incredible. And, and then, of course, that led to the fight. I don't know whether being dunked on repeatedly by the Thunder sent Robin Lopez over the edge. Boylan may may have to own some responsibility for what happened at the end of the quarter, but um, they're just, like, watching the Bulls really kind of underscores the dysfunction because it you, you read the quotes, but then you, you watch the stuff that Boylan is actually doing in these games. I mean, I again, I changed the channel, but he was full court pressing with the Bulls down 23 in the final minutes of that game. Like the dude is just on another level right now. Congratulations, Andrew. You have inspired my latest challenge to the open floor globe. I want all the open floor globe listeners, males, females, senior citizens, middle schoolers, everyone. I want you to email us at openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. And I want your suggestions for Jim Boylan's next strategies. And they must be based on your own basketball playing youth experience. What is the worst thing that your coach made you do? What's the goofiest scheme that you were thrown into? Did he do one of those like uh, trick plays where someone bends down and barks like a dog? We want to hear all of your weirdest youth basketball stories for how the Chicago Bulls can be coached by Jim Boylan into the NBA playoffs this year. Send them in. Yeah, there we go. Please do. And uh, everyone continue to savor the Boylan era. I don't see this lasting more than another six months, but... Um, I told you this. As soon as they made the transition, you're like, no, no, he's got the voice of confidence. I was like, just give it a couple no, days. No. Let's see. Okay. <laughs> Look, it's important to remember exactly how cheap the Bulls have been. So it's entirely possible that we will get to next season and Boylan and will still be there because they don't want to pay three coaches at once. But um, I don't know. It's it's all pretty magical. Uh, They're not really paying him, though, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> paying in air quotes. Um, so moving on, though, John says, Nick's question for you guys, is Emmanuel Moutier for real? And John, you are not the first NBA fan to ask this. Uh, I think everybody... On the right night, everybody can kind of talk themselves into Moutier. It's a dangerous game, though, and I think it's it's probably healthiest to look at Emmanuel Moutier as a wonderful tanking weapon because he is he's playing fairly well for the Knicks this year, and they're losing a ton of games. And uh, I think that's kind of like the best-case scenario for them. Is he on your fantasy team yet? No, he's not. I my my fantasy team is is full of players that I actually like, and uh, Moutier does not pass that test. Although, yeah, you know who is on my fantasy team? Devin Booker is is on the squad uh, as of last week. Part of my part of my overhaul for Team Sharp, and so I I tuned in to watch Nick Suns last night, and um, I know like. 
through the first few weeks of the season, we were talking about all the offense and the and the pace this year. And you said, you know, I, I, I have some misgivings about what's happening to basketball because I do appreciate defense and I appreciate the strategy that's involved in kind of scheming against teams that know how to guard. And, and, and I think that there's some value in that perspective. And um, I have never felt it more than when I was watching the Knicks and Suns for 45 minutes on Monday night because nobody on either team had any idea what they were doing on defense. And uh, like it was entertaining, but after a while it just kind of became sad because both teams were getting whatever they wanted. And um, I think that's the future that you are worried about. No question. Sounds like it got very dark there, Andrew. On the bright side, though, we got some pick-and-roll defense jokes on Twitter, which... If I don't actually get to watch good defense, I would at least like to see people take the Devin Booker approach of just calling out the guy that they're picking <laughs> on mercilessly. You know, I'm always hard on Devin Booker on this podcast. Uh, he won me over with that tweet. That was up there with the, the best social media digs I've seen all season. I like it so much more when it's X's and O's, terminology-based disses as opposed to yo mama jokes or, you know, when, when it gets personal or... Or, or anything else, name calling. I'm not so into that. Yeah. But when you're just basically telling everyone you're broadcasting <laughs> your game plan on Twitter, that's amazing. Yeah. Pick and roll at Ennis Cantor all night long, all season long, really, all career long for old Ennis. Um, but moving on, Brandon said, Buddy Healed and Swipe of the Fox have been killing it all season long. Fox is putting up 18 and 7 and shooting 40% from three. Healed is averaging 19 and 5 and shooting 43% from three. Right now, today, are De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Healed the second best backcourt in the NBA? Your thoughts, Ben? Oh, no, come on. <laughs> come on. Andrew, don't do this to me. Well, see, and uh, this is one where we I, have to be careful, right? Because I think it's it's okay to get excited about the Kings, but when you have when you take it too far, then then suddenly the conversation changes, and we all have to be too realistic with with. No, what I don't. E- I don't even. I don't have the heart to tamp down this optimism. Kings fans, go nuts! Like you have absolutely deserved it. I was actually wondering, is Fox going to be one of those guys who's on like the All Star bubble this year, where like maybe he doesn't actually make it, but he's in the conversation where he's trying to like maybe set it up for future years because his numbers are excellent. The Kings have been in that playoff position. You know, guys like Chris Paul to me, I mean, there could be spots opening up there a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's really hard to crack in for the West Guards, but he's been shooting the ball well. Like he is like the, the driving force of their team in terms of how they play. Their pace is way up. He is the reason why uh, he seems like he gets a lot of buzz on social media. Like I, I just wonder whether – you know, next month at this time, uh, if we're talking about, hey, is, is he on like, you know, the snubs list or could he sneak in on as like the 12th guy? I mean, is that too early for him or or what do you think? Um, I think it's most realistic to say that he's going to get a lot of token all-star buzz, a lot of like he does belong in the conversation. And he does. Well, let's start it early, Andrew. <laughs> yeah. hand, out, hand out the tokens, Andrew. Let's do it. Yeah. And you know what? If you watch De'Aaron Fox on the right night, you will come away rhapsodizing about what this guy is, what he's going to be. He looks like a future All-NBA guard. I mean, I I watched the second half of Mavs-Kings the other night, and he was getting whatever he wanted against Dallas. He was awesome. I mean, 
his ability, and this is something that John Wall learned early in his career too. He's he's the fastest player on the floor in any game he enters. But I think what's changed with De'Aaron Fox this year is his ability to kind of like modulate that speed and and use it in spurts and then also know how to sort of slow down when he needs needs to and and the way he moves around the rim to get his floaters off like he's just super skilled and um and poised in a way that he wasn't last year and i think that guy is very very legit i still don't know what to make of buddy healed uh but fox i mean have you like how much Kings have you watched? Because I'm still like blown away by how fast they play. Yeah, I guess I have adjusted to it because it is a big adjustment. I didn't we look up the stat the other day and it was like they were were they dead last in pace last year and second fastest in the league when we looked it up yes. this year? I mean, that's not an easy transition to make. Um so kudos to their coaching staff for doing that because that's going against how you know, Jaeger coached in Memphis and Sacramento for years, mm-hmm. right? So that a good a sign of a good coach is being able to adapt your schemes to your players' skills. Fox has been so good that you just have to turn him loose and play in his mold. The Buddy Heald thing has been one of the most surprising developments to me. I mean, right up there with you know Derek Rose or whoever else you want to say of like guys who have just had unbelievable starts that I just never would have predicted and still don't really want to trust just because we have so many years of evidence of them not really being that good. Yeah. Uh, but but in Buddy's case, like that's how he should have been playing the whole time, right? Run and gun. That's his game. Attack. You know, hopefully, don't get into too many situations where he's just trying to like go one on one in a half court, uh, you know, setup. Get him as many clean looks as possible, um, and give him the ultimate green light. And so far, it's been working. Uh, you know, I think that they're somewhat for real. Yeah, I mean, I think they're they're gonna, they're, gonna, they're, they're, they're gonna hang around, right? Like. I'm not sure they're going to make the playoffs. I would still, you know, bet against them. But if they're a nine or a ten seed at the end of the year, that is substantial progress from where they've been. And to me, it would, you know, really represent like a major turning point for that organization. Yeah, I think they are an elite league pass team that is going to hover between seventh place and tenth place all year long. They're going to be a pain in the ass to play. Um, Fox, you know, because it. it Basically, what's changed this year is they handed the keys to Fox. They signed Bielitsa. They decided we are going to play a spread pick and roll game and bet on De'Aaron Fox, which, I mean, it looks like a smart bet now, but if you had told people in July that that was the plan for the Kings with Fox coming off that rookie season, and it, like, I, I've been a Fox believer every step of the way, but I like that would have been a crazy bet. Um, and it, it's even crazier that it's worked as well as it has. Um, and the other thing with the Kings, can you imagine being in the Celtics front office or even just being a Celtics fan watching all of this happen? Because really, like when we talk in Anthony Davis offers, like the crown jewel of any package has been this Kings pick. And betting on the Kings landing in the top five was, again, one of the safest bets in the league. And now here we are, like, I, I mean, I'm sure that pick ends up like, 10 to 15 um but it's it's taken a hit this year nobody cares about boston andrew god just let (laughs) sacramento live on their own we're not gonna wring our hands and be so frustrated on behalf of the poor celtics fans who aren't gonna have a trade asset for anthony davis come on just let judge sacramento for sacramento not you know the the secondary implications of their good play here's the real thing if you had gone back to july Uh if we had gone back to july with sacramento and i had told you Luca is going to be viewed as the 
rookie of the year consensus favorite, right? Yep. And Marvin Bagley, when he is on the court, the Kings are going to be minus 5.3. But when he's off the court, the Kings are going to be plus 4.5. If I had given you those stats, wouldn't you have assumed that Sacramento was probably like a three-win team right now? Yeah. I, mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> I would have assumed, like, especially if, if you went back to mid-June and said, all right, the Kings are not going to take Luka. Luka's going to be there, and they are going to pass on him and take Marvin Bagley, and Marvin Bagley is going to be a minus player next season, and Luka is going to be amazing and, in some cases, even better than anyone expected. And if that was the timeline, I would have imagined Kings fans, like, losing their fucking mind during this season and really like swearing off the team forever. And instead you've got this season that is kind of one of the five or six best stories in the league so far. Um, it's, yeah, it's really for cool. sure. And, and like you, and like you mentioned, like a top five team in terms of entertainment value too, or, you know, a top eight team in terms of entertainment value. That's really the craziest part because, you know, I, I know some people are going to do the well, actually, well, well, actually, like Bagley's had some flashes. Okay. I yeah, mean, no. sort of. He, not, he's not, not really. He's you know? not as bad. Look, I was making Jaleel Okafor jokes a week or two in the into the season, and he's been better than that. And I, I think there is reason to be optimistic about what he's going to be. The real frustrating move is not taking Jared Jackson Jr. to kind of complete this puzzle. Um, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers. De'Aaron Fox is a future superstar. I think that's enough of a win on its own. Yeah, and according to Dave Yeager, Bagley's the next Kevin Durant, so we're set. <laughs> well, see, and that's to circle back to the beginning. We can't get too excited about the Kings because then you have to start being a little too, a little more critical than we want to be right now. Uh, but Yeager had to do what he had to do to prove that he wasn't taking shots at Flade. So I understand where he's coming from. Yeah, no, let's let's let that savor, you know, for the Kings. Okay, you guys are a little too jumpy. We've pointed out that you need to calm down a little bit, but. We were. I was dead wrong about Buddy ever being as good as he's been the last 25 games. And even if he never keeps it up for the rest of his career, we can cherish this stretch because where he was at this time last year, where the Kings were at this time last year, was a much darker place uh, for everybody involved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's finish it off here with some talk of the trade that went down over the weekend. Uh, we got an email. Which which one, Andrew? Was it the one where the internet sleuths spent hours decoding exactly what happened and, and pinpointed the idea that the Wizards front office were leaking uh, details of a trade that included the wrong player's name, thereby forcing one of the other GMs to issue public statements angry about the leak and angry about the trade that didn't happen, and then required the Wizards to put another piece to get uh, another trade together within 24 hours to kind of save face. Was it that trade? <laughs> it was that trade. Um, and I don't know. I don't really know what to make of what happened. Um, I was checked out Friday night. I was watching marvelous Mrs. Maisel with Alice, my wife, and I was phone free through most of it. And then the trade happened and I started getting text messages and I saw, um, I saw on Twitter, Woj was the first person to issue a correction saying the trade includes Marshawn Brooks, not Dylan Brooks. And then um, Gambo, do you follow Gambo? He's a good source of Suns news out of Phoenix. Yeah. Okay. So, well, he came back and said, the trade is Dylan Brooks. Anyone reporting? Marshawn Brooks is wrong. I believe he had wrong in all caps. And so I was sitting there in my bedroom and I was like, you know, they, 
these teams might actually have no idea which Brooks is in the deal, and that and that might be the source of the disagreement. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. I don't necessarily buy the Grizzlies side of this. There's There has been a lot of conflicting reporting. Um, I talked to somebody with the Wizards who said, look, we take a lot of heat. We deserve a lot of heat. This was on Memphis. And, uh, and I tend to believe that. I could be wrong. Um, but given that both Phoenix and Washington thought we were talking about Dylan Brooks, it, that that to me is is more persuasive than um, Chris Wallace. Who uh, credit to Chris Wallace, he came out and was uh, was pretty forceful in his denial. But uh, I don't totally buy it. Well, look, if Chris Wallace was just lying through his teeth on his explanation of things, I think we should give him the Executive of the Year award because he complete <laughs> he completely convinced me that was one of the he best lying the jobs I've sell, ever heard. Right? Yeah, no, but here's the thing though, like. There was no way Dylan Brooks belonged in that trade. When you're looking at the other things that they were supposed to give up, the second round picks, like the other players, what they were going to be getting. Mm. Like Dylan Brooks started for them last year. He's not that great. He's, but that's the thing. Mar- He's not but helping look, here- them very much right now. Whereas I, I kind of liked I liked it as a gamble for Memphis, saying, All right, let's roll the dice and see what we can get out of Kelly Oubre. Whereas I, Dylan Brooks, I think, is like going to top it, out why, as a ninth man at best. But why are there picks involved then, right? Like, I don't think there's that big of a difference between like Dylan Brooks's trade value at this point and Kelly Oubre's trade value, given that you know you have to pay Oubre next summer and he's going to, you know, want real money. Um, whereas Marshawn Brooks is like the classic throw-in type piece. Okay, like the real assets that are moving are second-round picks. Uh, we're just trying to put together some contracts to kind of make it work. That's why he would be involved in that trade. I mean, to me, the trade made 100% sense if Marshawn Brooks was in it, and it made no sense at all if Dylan Brooks was in it. And if it was one of those things where it's like, okay, we'll give you Dylan Brooks or we'll give you the picks, like in an earlier iteration of the conversation, Mm -hmm. I could kind of understand that. But like all those things together, just it didn't really add up to me. So it's really hard for me to believe that it was a case of cold feet for Memphis's side because I just don't think that they would have ever – cared enough about this move to to put Dylan Brooks into it yeah and and frankly it's not hard for for me to believe that Ernie Grunfeld was just throwing Brooks into text messages and had no idea that there were two players named Brooks on the Grizzlies so I I don't think anyone involved in this trade deserves the benefit of the doubt because we are talking about three of the most incompetent front offices of the last 20 years. I really like the only team we're missing in this deal is the Bulls. Um, and so I, I don't know who to trust and I don't particularly care who who was right or who was lying. I think there's probably shades of truth on all sides. Um, I The trade to me doesn't make sense for Phoenix. I have no idea what they were getting out of the first deal. I mean, maybe they were big believers in Dylan Brooks. I definitely don't understand what they got out of the subsequent deal that came through on Saturday where they get Kelly Oubre back and immediately wave Austin Rivers. Like, is there, am I missing something with that? No, Andrew, you uh, have a, a working brain, you know, a logical working brain, and it's shutting down because what Phoenix did made no sense. <laughs> and we should not try to pin this all on Washington, okay? Because. There may have been this game of telephone where the Brookses got confused, right? But I promise you, if you don't have a full GM, uh-huh. you have 
two interim GMs, and you have actually they're called interim co-GMs, neither one of whom has been a GM before, and you fired your GM weeks before the season started, you are the exact type of team who would find themselves in an unprecedented trade situation because uh, of a miscommunication over a name, right? Like that's how those kinds of things happen when you don't have a clear established pecking order and you don't have experienced people in it. Yeah. Everyone wanted to bring up, you know, the, the Minnesota Timberwolves drafting that guy, you know, Ngambo or whatever, who they spelled his name wrong and he was way too old to be drafted. Like those kinds of, just crazy, you know, illegal moves or like just completely wrong decisions don't happen to the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> to normal or, basketball uh, teams, yeah. not even the Warriors. We don't have to go for the gold standard here. Just a, a, a run-of-the-mill NBA team doesn't do shit like that. Exactly. So let's not let Phoenix off the hook. Now let's talk about what they traded for. The trade made sense if they brought Austin Rivers in and, and they just admitted like, look, bro, we don't have – any point guards. We also know you're not a point guard, but you're going to be a guy <laughs> who roll the dice. who brings yeah, you're you're going to bring the ball up every once in a while. It's not going to work, but like you're going to help us buy time because frankly this season is going to be really long. And we've got a lot of games to get through and like Jamal Crawford's like 62 years old. He can't do it for us every night, yeah. right? But what seems to have happened, the most logical explanation is they tried to trade for Austin Rivers. Then Austin Rivers was probably just like, I don't want to play for you guys. Sorry. <laughs> and then you were the Phoenix Suns and you were like, oh, maybe we should have checked that out before we traded for him. Because in the original version of the deal, that was the piece that they were getting along with the other picks, right? Yeah. So unless they were only doing it for the picks, and it, it seems very unlikely you'd only be able to get a couple second round picks for Trevor Ariza in this situation, right? Yeah, and it's been uh, documented that the Suns are not interested in picks for whatever reason. They feel like the their, t- their time in the lottery and in the first round has come to an end and they want to start winning with the, the picks that they have. And so picks are not a selling point either way for the Suns. Um, and, and absent that, like what the hell are they thinking? Yeah, so they should have been thinking, well, Austin Rivers is not that great, but he can definitely help us because our roster is horrible. That's what they should have been thinking. Instead, he's just like, I, I want to get out. And instead of thinking about it, they're just like, yeah, sure, cool. Like, we'll wave you, no problem. Like, see you later. <laughs> so now they're left with Kelly Oubre, who they didn't even want in the original deal. And now they're just welcoming, welcoming him in. And they've got multiple other prospects who are kind of at that same position who they've been trying to develop. Yeah. And now they're going to have to decide very quickly, do we pay this guy? Uh, if anyone comes with a big offer next summer, what do you think the odds are Sarver opens up his wallet and pays money for him? Isn't it very possible that the whole like you know brilliant stroke of paying Trevor Ariza $15 million to have a trade asset and, and maybe a guy who can help support the the Aiden Booker duo winds up with them being completely empty handed in next summer. That's very, very possible. Isn't it? No question. And that's the thing. It's like, I understand that Ariza wasn't necessarily going to fetch a first round pick given how terrible he looked through the first month and a half of the season. Um, But to just basically give him away for a wing that you don't need, that you don't want to pay it's it's baffling to me that that was that was the end game for Phoenix um and I I don't know whether there was some kind of imperative to trade Trevor Ariza this weekend because that's one potential explanation is that like like Washington wanted him and nobody else was 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 really making an offer and they didn't want to trade him to the Lakers for PR reasons which is its own hilarious subplot is Robert Sarver is is just like 
He's shell-shocked from the um, the heat he had to take last week and the heat he took in the wake of the Tyson Chandler situation that he's just done dealing with the Lakers, which is kind of a hilarious turn for a guy who literally traded Steve Nash, the, the best player the Suns have had in the last 25 years, to the Lakers and is now suddenly like, no, we don't deal with the team up north. It's like, okay, buddy. Well, he got tired of being called the, you know, the Lakers farm team or their G League affiliate because yeah, he's just handing them fair. Tyson Chandler. It, yeah, no, it's sort of fair. But I'm asking you this question. You know, doesn't Robert Sarver seem like the kind of guy who, even though he's known to be cheap and has been known to be cheap for years, don't you think he probably keeps like a crisis PR firm on retainer? I mean, I don't know if you saw like the the video that they put out after the whole like story are the are the sons gonna move to seattle and all that and he had to like issue that uh, video where he's like staring into the camera trying to convince you it did look like a yeah. hostage video and yeah i i think yeah the the unifying theory of robert sarver's pr strategy is that he is cheap and he has hired a pr firm who is probably not top of the line and are not very good at the job. <laughs> so great. So he he's got a third tier crisis PR firm. It, but even the third tier crisis PR firm, don't you think their strategy would be like, look, our boss is taking all sorts of heat because this adorable grandmother is just going at his neck in a video <laughs> for the the Phoenix City Council. How do we change the subject? How do we like get people talking about anything else? Well, can we go make a good trade? No, we can't make a good trade because we're the Suns. Okay, can we make a bad trade where people will just focus on the fact that we made a bad trade rather than the fact that our owner is getting ripped to shreds by this old woman who is basically trying to you know, shame him into paying for his own arena? And I think if you look at it through that lens, the Ariza trade makes a lot of sense. You just trade Ariza so that that video will stop going viral. Yeah. Man, maybe that was all part of the strategy in Phoenix. I'm glad I appreciate you walking me through that though, because what happened to me today, and we're recording this on Tuesday, I went for a long run and then I came back and I, I was sitting there sweating and checking Twitter and I was just kinda out of it and I saw that the Suns were waving Austin Rivers and I I literally spent like a good four or five minutes trying to figure out what their motivation for actually doing that deal could have possibly been. <laughs> and I came up empty and I'm glad to hear that I am uh, not crazy. Um, so I want to talk about the Wizards side of this at the very end here. Um, and to do that... So he saves your season, right? I mean, isn't that how you're looking at it? This is the move that you know, he winds up just, you know, turning the entire locker room culture around. Uh, they're bringing the band back together from such a really amazing <laughs> a era of Wizards basketball. Wizards team, yeah. Uh, you, you said you were watching the marvelous Mrs. Maisel or something like that. Is this the marvelous Mr. Ariza? Is that what we're getting here, or, or how do you how do you be. view this move? It could be. Um, Christopher said, "Was John Wall's insane forty point fourteen assist game in the win against the Lakers all about him trying to signal to LeBron that he wants to come to LA?" And the latter should press for a trade for him as soon as possible. And to answer Christopher's question, yes, that is still the best version of this wizard season. Is <laughs> that Rich Paul makes it impulsive? And we keep talking about Rich Paul as if he's the GM of the Lakers. No, Magic Johnson and Rob Palenka make an impulsive move for John Wall and give us, I guess, like Josh Hart and Contavious Caldwell Pope, whatever, and and. Washington does the deal just to get off of Wall's deal for the next four or five years. 
Um, that's still the best case scenario. Absent that, though, um, there's been a lot of snark about the Wizards, and <laughs> I just heard it from you. I've been hearing it from a lot of people. I do think that this was a decent deal from Washington's perspective, and I understand why nobody wants to give Ernie Grunfeld the benefit of the doubt, but you have to understand that Kelly Oubre is not a good basketball player, and he didn't have very much trade value. There are people in Washington who have said they are giving him away because because the Wizards can't afford to pay him this summer. Um, I don't know if that's true, and it, I mean that may be why they felt like they had to deal him. But I don't think Ubre is really going to command much on the open market this summer. I just think he was a bad basketball player, and um, if this is kind of the last gasp of the era, I don't mind taking on Ariza for six months to try to get the best version of this season, and then sort of reevaluating everything in July. Yeah, are you completely convinced that Kelly Ubre? in a vacuum is the same player that you watched in Washington because I think that a player like Kelly Oubre would be set up to fail if playing with the types of personalities and the, the you know the highly paid players that are on the Wizards roster. Yeah. It's just a t- tough situation to be in. I'm not saying he's a great player, but isn't there a chance that the best case of Kelly Oubre is a lot better than the one that we saw in Washington? I guess so. I mean, he look. If you look at his three point numbers, he's been shooting. It, it's like not going to twenty five percent from not, three for the last couple seasons. It's not coming out in Phoenix. Okay, I'm not saying that. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I do feel for I Kelly just, Oubre because he's not going to have any better situation in Phoenix. I, it's a reasonable. That's a, a a fair read on it. Is to say, look, this is more proof that this team has no idea to how to develop any young player who's not a top three pick. Um, and, and that's a fair criticism of the Wizards over the last seven or eight years. Uh, it's just that all of these issues were, were known problems in D.C., and, and I think that uh, killing them for this particular move kind of misses the point. Um, they, they, there are bigger problems, and everybody in, in D.C. basically needs to go, but I think Ubre. I, I don't know. Does it really miss the point, though? I mean, isn't this kind of part of a track record, though? I mean, isn't this kind of a similar move to the Dwight move? It's where, like you back yourself into a corner. You you are stuck with these big decisions that you've already made. Um, so you're just trying to kind of make things different around the edges, you know, taking chances on guys who are, you know, maybe not what they were a few years ago. Yeah. Talking yourself into like, you know, these minor fixes and at the end of the day, the team is still, you know, not going to win a first round playoff series. I mean, isn't this also just, I mean, I don't know if it's missing the, the point to hammer the Ariza one because there's obviously bigger mistakes that have been made in Washington, but it also just feels like it's right in line with what they've been doing for the last five years. It is. Um, I think it's, it's, it would be a more damning indictment of like the Grunfeld team if uh, Ubre were a real asset. And, and I think that's where people can differ in terms of like how much value he should have had, what the Wizards should have been seeking in return. No, that That's a good point. Like if they had traded a first round pick for Ariza, that would have been the, the ultimate Ernie Grunfeld exactly. move, right? And they didn't. And you would rather have a first round pick at this point probably than it. Well, no, actually you would than Ubre. Um, so yeah, yeah well, okay. And the problem with it was Ubre, only half. A, it, just to, it was only half an Ernie. <laughs> exactly, half an Ernie. And it, look, it just certainly tracks with everything the team has been doing for the last six or seven years. Uh, thinking in the absolutely shortest of terms. Um, but the Ubre issue, just for anyone who's curious, I, like he does 
kind of fit the prototype of what teams should be looking for in wings. His problem is that he was a top five recruit coming out of high school, and he just, he still thinks of himself as a star, and he's never totally embraced his role as like a 3 and D guy who does the little things and just plays really hard and uh, and stays out of the way on offense and doesn't try to do too much. And unfortunately, like... <laughs> In that role, he's just not very good and not very helpful. And that's why I would close with this, which is to warn people that the Wizards could actually be pretty decent going forward. Uh, they, they might be about to run off like one to two to three months of um, surprisingly solid basketball. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but removing Ubre is sort of addition by subtraction. And I think Ariza is going to help. Sam Decker is going to help. Thomas Bryant is playing hard. And John Wall appears to give a shit for the first time in the last two and a half months. And I think they could be okay. So you get LeBron on an off night and all of a sudden it sparks three <laughs> months of of wins. I mean, come on, Oh, baby. Look, Rob Palenka, if you're out there, please pick up the phone. John Wall could do wonders next to LeBron. He'd be a great fit. Um, but absent that, look, I do think that they're not completely dead yet. And, um, and I, I think that it's... The Wizards are going to blow it up this summer, and for the next six months, they're going to be weirdly uh, relevant. I'm less concerned about whether the Wizards are dead or not, and I'm more concerned about whether your soul is dead or it's not. So, so when dead. Wall, <laughs> okay, because I wanted to ask you, when Wall went for forty, I mean, did you enjoy it at all? I mean, or were you just thinking like this is going to increase his trade value quick, like make this deal? I mean, because it doesn't really seem like you relished that night i didn't necessarily relish it in the moment um and it was in part because the lakers were just so clearly going through the motions after about the first quarter of that game but i will say i came back to those highlights later that night and then i watched them again the following day and uh you know it's a good reminder of what Wall was and, and why I once loved him. And um, and I think, you know, it, it's a reminder that he's not necessarily hopeless for the next five years. He, there, there, there might still be something there. I think there, there were nights this season where I've watched him where I'm just like, I think this guy might just be permanently washed and he doesn't care anymore and that's where we are. And it's been nice. He, he, he cared against Kyrie Irving uh, last week. He cared against the Lakers. And when he cares, he can still be good, which in, in one light makes his season even more disrespectful uh, over the last couple months. But in another, it's encouraging. Good take, good take. Actually, slightly more optimistic than I was expecting when you said <laughs> that your soul was dead. My lasting thought, though, real quick on this trade before we move on. Yeah. I feel for both the Wizards beat media, but especially the Suns beat media, because Austin Rivers really distinguished himself as one of the great modern locker room lawyers in terms of oh his post game comments. Thank you for bringing in Washington. That up. <laughs> night after night after night, he was just like ruthlessly ripping his teammates, and I don't think we should be surprised that he got traded within what, like thirty five games. I mean, he talked himself into that one. There is no question about it. But I was really looking forward to his stump speeches down there in Phoenix, right? Like when they're 
when they're deep into the March tank and Austin Rivers is surrounded by four G-leaguers, uh, he would have had a lot of very candid thoughts about where the team was going. I'm sure he would have had some ideas about the coaching strategies and the management and the ownership. And I think we were all robbed of what could have been one of the all-time runs of post-game interviews. Yeah. Uh, had had we gotten Austin Rivers with the Suns for the rest of the season? No question about it. And um, I will miss Austin Rivers talking under his breath after Wizards games, after Wizards losses, because you know Bradley Beal will be sitting there just sort of running through cliches like we got we got to have pride on defense. Then John Wall will come out forty five minutes after the game and twenty minutes after every other player has left and sort of like go through the motions himself. But Austin Rivers would just be there, like, putting the entire team on blast. And, you know, some of the stuff that has leaked from Wizards practices, I, I haven't been told this by any reporters, but you can pretty easily connect the dots and uh, and conclude that Austin Rivers was the leak. And I, I also, a friend of the podcast told me that... Um, that the the fight in the Wizards practice that that ended with Bradley Beal cursing out Ernie Grunfeld saying I've been dealing with this shit for 7 years and then John Wall cursing out Scott Brooks all of that apparently started when Austin Rivers threw a basketball at Bradley Beal's head so certainly for entertainment value I will miss Austin Rivers in DC and I can't wait to see where he ends up do you have any favorite landing spots for old Austin. Do you think he's going to get his Jersey retired? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that was the big question, you know, with the Clippers is like, Oh, you know, is, is he going to get the tribute video? They should do an Austin River- rivers tribute video of his time with the wizards with the first game back. And that'd be just incredible. He's had quite a ride um, through the years. So there was reports today that he was like going to sign with the Grizzlies, but I guess he didn't sign with the Grizzlies. I'm not totally sure what's going on there. I thought he makes sense with the Rockets. I mean, I realize Mm. injecting that level of volatility into a locker room that's already kind of on thin ice, maybe, uh, would it be the best? Reunion with CP3, what could go wrong? Exactly, but they could just really use him. You know, I mean, that spot, you know, shooting, you could play him at small forward at times like the Clippers used to. Um, I don't know, I... That would be where I would put him just because I don't want the Rockets to be as bad as they've been. And I think they just need capable NBA players at this point. Yeah. Um, I, another option would be to throw him up there in Chicago with Boylan's boys and see what happens. Um, but Ben, now that we have hit the half-assed Wizards optimism and Austin Rivers landing spot portion of the podcast, I think it's probably time to cut it short or cut it off it hasn't been short (laughs) um but ben now that we have hit the half-assed wizards optimism and austin rivers landing spot portion of the podcast i think it is time to cut it there i will talk to you later in the week to to be honest we should have cut it like three minutes ago when you were giving us the hard sell on how the wizards were going to be amazing and they're going to run off three months it's just a warning if we have any gamblers listening to the podcast i would bet the wizards they're going to lose in houston on a back-to-back on wednesday but then i think they might go on a little run here well let's i mean for the hope of your sanity let's let's hope it happens because it's always (laughs) funny when they build you up and tear you down andrew our listeners can email us at openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com. They can also find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Uh, Find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. 
Tap five stars. Prepare for a guilt trip, guys. All I want for the holidays is five-star reviews from you, the listener. It takes mere seconds. So go ahead and put some holiday cheer in my life and Andrew's life, too. He doesn't really care. At least he pretends not to, but maybe deep down he does. Uh, Andrew, until later this week, when we're going to have incredible podium questions, I will We've talk to you. We've got a lot of great questions, and we got to do... I don't know what we're going to do Friday, but it'll be a fun little holiday show. Um, All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.